Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being with me today, this uh, 11th day of July, 2021. It's been a, kind of a busy week, a lot of things going on in our lives, and uh, it's been a beautiful week. We've had some wonderful weather and opportunities to get out and get get in the woods for a little bit and get some other things done, and, and just it's been a blessed week. We had some uh, interesting kinds of things going on. My son, Will, the one who had the fall, um, he went to we went to Chattanooga and went to a place called Siskin Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Uh, he was there for three weeks after his surgeries, after he came out of the coma, and um, they did, they did wonderful work there. We'll have a brother-in-law who uh, has not been able to walk for the last three years. He's had problems with diabetes, but mostly he had a problem with an infection on his spine, and it's rendered him unable to walk for the last three years. Well, he was so inspired. He and um, was so inspired by what would happen to Will that he, he decided that he wanted to go down there too. And so the great news is is that, that in this last week, he's actually gotten up and walked some because of the work that they've done with him down there. It's exciting to see um, God moving in people's lives and, and, and changing lives. I mean, this would, it would make an enormous difference for Mike if he were able to get up and, and walk and do these things. It's important for us all to remember that, that, that our bodies are important and we need to take care of those. Uh, it's, it's a great gift from God to have the bodies that we have, and it's incumbent upon us as part of our discipleship, according to Paul, uh, in fact, that, that we take care of the bodies that we have, that we value the gifts that God gave us. And, and so I'm encouraging you if, you, if you haven't got a, a, a regular routine of, of getting exercise and movement, then then change the pattern of your sedentary lives it's important for us to get out and do things for multiple reasons um for physical reasons for uh, mental health reasons for all kinds of different things it's important for us to to be able to get up and move and, and unless you've had that taken away from you sometimes you don't value it enough and so my encouragement to you is to, is to get out and to, to begin to move about and do things and to exercise and to use the body that you've been given, to use the mind that you've been given. Don't just sit around with and watch television or whatever. It, it's important for us to keep engaging ourselves in, in life. And the only way we can do that is to do so fully, body, mind, and spirit. And so that, that's my encouragement to you is because as, as I've gone about with Will over the last several weeks as we've gone to doctors and such because it was, it's been kind of my job to, to go to doctors. Suzanne goes to dentists and therapy and I go to doctors. Um, what I've noticed is there's a great many people my age there who, um, who in all these doctor's offices who haven't uh, clearly not taken care of their bodies. You know, they're, they're grossly overweight. They're people smoking and everything else. It, it's just we, we've got a, a responsibility as Christians, a part of what we are and who we are, to to actually take care of the body that, that Paul says is a temple of the Lord. Uh, it's, it's important that we acknowledge that, that it comes from him, that it is a great gift from him, and, and that it's the one body we're going to get. <clears throat> So that's my encouragement for you this week, and, and I want to talk, though, about similar kinds of things, because what does it have to do? It has recognition of God, and it's we tend to recognize Him only in certain kinds of ways, and what I want to encourage you for, what I want to push on, is to, to recognize Him in all things, and to, to have an appropriate fear of the Lord in our lives, that, that we would uh, know that we're ever walking in His sight. It's not the same as um, 
he's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. That's not what it is at all. It's not, that's not the deal. That's not how it works, even though I spent a huge amount of my life believing sort of that's how God did things, is that, that he had tick marks against me and, and nothing for me, more or less, and, and that that was what I was going to be judged on. And I, and I completely misunderstood that because what I, what I had was a wrong understanding of salvation. I had an understanding of salvation that, was, that I could lose my salvation at any given point in time based on sin in my life. Um, well, we're all going to sin. And so if I'm not responsible for my salvation at the beginning, then why am I responsible for it the day after that? Uh, it seems a heavy burden to bear to be able to do that. But, it, but this, the, nonetheless, it's the way that I lived. And, and so, but what it doesn't mean is to take that for granted. And, and I think that can become a problem for us in, the, in that we are so secure in our salvation, it, to the extent we think about it, that, that we just take it for granted, completely take it for granted. And I think you're going to see some of that in this first lesson from Second Samuel today. The, the lesson leaves out probably the most important piece of it, but, but at the same time, it, it, it ties everything together to pull that in. So the, the lesson as appointed is Second Samuel 6, 1 to 5, and then 12 to 19. The, the, the part that's in between actually, like, as I said, does make a difference. But it, it, it's interesting that David um, gathers the chosen men of Israel, about 30,000 of them. And the purpose is to go to um, Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. So why is it there? Well, remember that at one point Saul decided that, that the battle wasn't going well with the Philistines. And so they, he, he sent for the ark to be brought into the battle as sort of a good luck charm. And, and it got captured. And when it got captured, it got taken into um, other territories. And it got put into um, several different Philistine places, actually. And so it, it, it included one of the places that it went was the temple of their god, Marduk. And uh, the first night that it was there, the next morning they came in and they found the god, the statue of the god of Marduk had fallen and it was lying face down in front of the ark. It's sort of a worshipful posture, I think, is, is what it's supposed to say there and the way you should read that in this. So they set it back up and then the next day it fell again and it broke off the head and the hands and... Um, it, it, and so they decided this was bad and it, because there were tumors then that accompanied that and what we think those were, were sort of buboes it was kind of like the bubonic plague and then so everywhere the ark went that continued to happen among the people there it, it brought horrible misfortune that they had the ark among them who were not worshipping the God whose ark this is and so ultimately it comes back to Israel and, and then it just kind of hangs out for a while it's finally moved at one point to Gibeon and then from there, David now is going to bring that ark into the city of David, which is Jerusalem, because David has conquered it and driven out the Jebusites from Jerusalem, and now he is he is king. And so David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem, and we're told later that he had made a tent specially prepared for it, which is not a tabernacle. It's a totally different word. So the, the place where worship is going to happen is going to be somewhere else. It's going to be in Gibeon for a period of time until Jerusalem becomes that center of worship. And so, at, but, it, but at the uh, short term, in the, in the place where we are today, the, the ark is being brought to Jerusalem, but, but that's not the place of worship. So just keep that in mind through the whole thing. It, it does matter, actually. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, 
and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. It, it, and I'm not saying Ohio, by the way. I'm saying Ohio, A-H-I-O. And so that that's the part of the reading that's prescribed for us. And then and then we skip these this next thing. And David and the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. I mean, every sort of instrument that they had available to them, they, they're bringing to this because they're so excited that the ark of God is being restored to the place. It's being restored to from from the outskirts of the uh, of of the of Judaism into the the city of David, and so they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, which is just a place. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. So it, it, the ark is on the cart and it begins to move, and and then Uzzah, in whose um, father's home this thing has been for for several months now, I think it's three months. Um, reaches out because he didn't want the thing to slide off the uh, the cart. But the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of the Lord. And David's angry about this. <clears throat> and that place is called Perez Uzzah. The Lord breaks out against Uzzah uh, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the ark of the Lord come to me? So he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but he took it instead to Obed-Edom the Gittite. And it remained there for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And so th then the word comes to David. The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. David's got a fear here <laughs> that the, the problem is is that, that this thing is just so, suddenly something's happened with it. It's cursed maybe or whatever. And because Uzzah dies from reaching out and touching it. Now, how was the ark intended to be conveyed from place to place? How was it conveyed during the time of the wilderness, for instance? And the answer to that question is is that that it was it was conveyed via poles. There were sockets cut in the side or molded onto the side of the ark on both sides, and long poles were inserted in that. And the Levites moved it from place to place. I don't know how they got it on the cart, but at any rate, when they, in this story, when when they get it on the cart, and then it starts to fall. Remember, Uzzah touches it to keep it in place, and then it um, he ends up dying for that. Well, the in, in Judaism, they see a similarity, and, and part of it is, is because their their weekly reading will be a portion from the Torah, the first five books of Moses, and then there will be a second auxiliary reading from the Haftarah, which is everything else. <laughs> um, and so it happens that when, when they read the story of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who were killed when they bring, quote, foreign fire or strange fire to the altar of the Lord, that, that the... the Lord's anger is kindled against them because they brought something that was not um, commanded by him. And what was in, in, in ritual places like that, whatever's not commanded by him, anything you add to it then becomes a violation, and a violation liable unto death. And so the people know from, from time immemorial that this is the what happens when you treat the things of God lightly when you bring strange fire when you do something that's not commanded or other than what's commanded then this is what happens and so they couple that reading of the nadab and abihu being consumed with fire from the lord once they bring this strange fire that's coupled the half reading is this 
less and about Uzzah. And so they see this thing that, that says that, that they're, they're zealous for the Lord. I mean, I've heard it said in, in mostly Christian circles that, that Nadab, Nadab and Abihu brought strange fires. That is, they brought fire from some other pagan altar. Not, not a single Jewish commentator ever says that that they actually say it's sort of an excess zeal and they want to add something to the Lord because they want to draw to the to the to what's there because they want to draw closer to the Lord and they want to worship him more. And here Uzzah's doing the same thing, right? He's he's concerned that the ark might be defiled if it slides and falls off that cart and so he reaches out and touches it. Well, no one's supposed to touch the ark. It's the judgment of God. It's the judgment and the mercy seat of God because the the uh, tablets of the 10 commandments are there. So when he does this, it's a reminder to the people from all time not to take the things of God lightly or to take the things of God for granted. And so he's, it's not that he's committed some sin, in fact, because that's not the way it, it gets treated, but, but he, he has transgressed the, the holy things of God. And we don't have a great idea i don't think about holiness we 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 just don't even think in the same uh generic terms that jews did we don't think in terms of clean and unclean and we don't think in terms of holy and impure um but we need to we we need as christians to to understand what is holy to god so that we don't misuse that and for me it, it comes down to the word of god and that's the word of god written in the word of god um in, revealed in Christ, is, is we need to, to not be um, loose about dealing with those things. These are, these are things that we should come to with great reverence and awe and, and fear, and especially as a teacher, to make sure that you get things right. right? So, so David now hears, okay, this thing is it's not bringing bad luck to Obed, uh, Edom the Gittite. It, it's actually his house is being blessed because the presence of the Ark of God. And so David goes and he brings up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. David's doing some odd things here. He's leading the worship procession in this, uh, as, it, as the Ark comes into the city. But, but then he does this sacrificial thing. And, and, and you kind of wonder, well, wait a minute now. David's being presumptuous, right? He's taken on a priestly role in offering this sacrifice. What, what gives him the right to do that? Saul had gotten into trouble for doing some uh, priestly things. He offered a sacrifice, and Samuel jumped down his throat about it. And so how do we, how do we square this up? Well, Saul did that at the altar of the Lord. At this point in time, remember I said early on that Gibeon is the place of worship. Here, David's not acting in a priestly role because he's not doing things in the, the worship place of the Lord right now. So it's perfectly fine for him to do this thing, and the Lord doesn't rebuke him at all. And it says David danced before the Lord with all his might. And then there's this weird little sentence that says, And David was wearing a linen ephod. It just sort of comes out of the blue, and you think, well, what does that got to do with anything else? Well, it, again, it's a sign of priesthood to wear that ephod. It's not a normal garment for people in Israel. It is a normal garment for the Levitical priesthood, but not for those who are outside the Levitical priesthood, and David is certainly that. He is, he's from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. And so he's dancing with all his might, and they bring up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn, so the, the ram's horn, the shofar, 
is sounding as they bring it in. It's changed a little bit from the way it was the last time. They had all kinds of um, instruments playing there, and now here it's just the horn is all we're hearing about. And the ark of the Lord comes into the city of David, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in, his, in her heart. He's the king. But he's acting a fool in her eyes. He's, he's acting beneath the dignity of his office, and that's exactly what she accuses him of later. And David says to her in response, I'll become even more undignified than this. David's showing and leading the people in worship. He's showing them the way to, to sort of unbridled worship of the Lord. Because David recognizes this thing. He recognizes the holiness of God and the greatness of God. And, and so they come in and, and then they bring the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Again, it's not a tabernacle, it's a tent. David's, David's again taking on this role, sort of a mosaic role in coming before the people in the office of priest in a lot of ways. He's, he's, he's taking on the roles, but it's not in a ceremonial way. It's in a worshipful way. The ceremonial would be done at the, um, at the place of worship in Gibeon, but that's not what's going on here. David's, David's just excited about this, but he recognizes that it is holy to the Lord. And so he put, a, put it into a tent that he had pitched for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when he had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's a priestly job again. And distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed each to his house. That again, there's something a priest does when a peace offering is made. The, the priest distributes to all who are there. Anybody can come to a peace offering. It's just one of the ways the poor got fed in some ways was that they could come to a peace offering, which was celebrating peace between the worshiper and God. And because of that peace, then, then everyone who was there could participate in the feast afterwards. And that's exactly what David's doing. He's saying there's peace that exists between us and God. And the proof is nothing broke out today. <laughs> so David, David is leading the worship. But he's, he's treating the holy things as holy things. But he's, he is truly delighted that, that to, to start begin the restoration of the proper worship of Israel. It says this ark has not been with them for quite a long time now. And so David's excited to do that. And we need to be equally excited to worship. We need to, to treat those holy things as holy things. And David sort of acts in the same role that Jesus does at the Last Supper in distributing this food. He makes this David's handling and doing all the things that Jesus does at the Last Supper. And then when David writes in Psalm 110, he speaks of the one who is to come the Messiah who's to come, who's to be the king and to do all these wonderful things. But in the middle of it all, he says that, that he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's not just a priest. He's a priest, but not a Levitical priest. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem and also a priest of the Most High God to whom Abraham made sacrifice, gave him a tithe of everything that he had. And, and Melchizedek is the priesthood that we see for Jesus because it's an older priesthood. It's a pre-established priesthood before there was a Levitical priesthood. And, and so it, there's an older order 
And that's exactly what the uh, writer of Hebrews picks up on as well. And so David is in some ways acting in that role now in, these, in this lesson today because he recognizes the holy things of God in a way that his predecessor Saul didn't. He treated it like a talisman or some sort of a, uh, a good luck charm. And it's important to see the distinction between those two things. In our gospel lesson today, it's really odd, sort of a gospel lesson, because it, it, it begins with, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. What is it? Well, it seems to be, that because this comes right on the heels of Jesus sending out the disciples to go and heal and cast out demons and proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. And so when King Herod heard of it, that's what it's talking about. Jesus' name had become known. And then the rest of it is this sort of this odd digression uh, look back. And then it says, so some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. And others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And then the rest of the reading today is just and I don't mean to say it that way, but it, the the rest of the reading from the gospel is a recitation and a remembrance of what um, Herod had done to John, that he had him beheaded. He had him beheaded because he had married his brother's wife, and John uh, called him on it and said, it's not lawful for you to do this. Now, Herod was a, was a Jew, so when John says that, he's holding Herod to Jewish law. This is not Roman law he's talking about. He said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Well, Herodias, the wife, didn't like this very well. She was angry with John and wanted him put to death. But Herod wouldn't do it because he was afraid of him because he, he saw that God was with him. He, and we're told that, that he knew he was a righteous and a holy man, so he kept him safe from Herodias. He, he recognized John as, as of God. So he was respecting a vessel that was holy. In this case, the vessel is John, the man, in whom the Spirit of God obviously resided. And then he, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So he knew John was speaking the truth. He just didn't want to hear it. It wasn't a truth he was prepared to accept because he was, he was fine with what he had done. He had made his peace with it. He had sort of made... Um, peace with the fact that, that he had done this thing, and you can bet that he rationalized. No, it's okay because of this, but John confronts him in it and says, no, and, and, and it's important that John do that, but it cost John his life. So on his birthday, Herod's given a banquet for the nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee, and when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, so he made a promise, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And then she went out to mom, and, who hates John, and says, what should I ask for? And he said, she says, the head of John the Baptist. And so that's what she asked for, and that's exactly what the king did. He had John beheaded, even though he didn't want to do it. It's similar to the trial of Jesus, right? Because Pilate doesn't want to do anything at all. He doesn't want to condemn Jesus because he said, if I know guilt in this man, and he washes his hands as if to absolve himself of any guilt concerning that man. And, and that's what... Herod does here. He's a weak man. He's made a promise, and can he go back on the promise? Well, he certainly could. He has the ability to go back on it, but he wanted to save face. And so he feared the people more than he feared God. 
And he has John put to death and has his head brought on a platter and gave it to the girl, and then the girl gave it to her mother. And then the disciples, John's disciples, hear of it, and they come and take the body and they lay it in a tomb. It's, it's a horrible thing. But, but we can do the same thing, right? I mean, we can fear God, we can know God, we can, we can have all the, the experience of him in the world, and yet at the same time we can fear man so much that, that when we're challenged in any way, or, or even if we perceive we're going to be challenged, we, we, we keep our mouths shut. And in so doing, we do the same thing that Peter did, we deny Christ. Because we fear man more than we fear God. And the fear of the Lord is the important thing. We should be afraid not to do the things that he has commanded us to do. Which is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different. And if the world ever needed salt and light, it's now. And it's costly to be salt and light. Uh, and that's what John realized was is that for him to call people to be, to be accountable for what they were. He wasn't calling him to account for being a Roman ruler. He was calling him to account for who he claimed to be, which was a Jew. And so he was taking the name of the Lord in vain by sinning this way and sinning so publicly, and it needed to be confronted. And, and so we can have the fear of the Lord and then lose it. it, and then we can rationalize it, and then we can feel guilty about it later. But, but it's important that we always keep in mind that, that he is the judge. At the end of the day, he is, he is the one who judges. And, and I would hate to stand before him, and I will hate to stand before him, and see the places where I've failed to do and be the person that I was called to be. And I've called, failed to say the things that, that I should have said because, um, well, I feared what somebody would think if I said these things. And so we, we've got to be good at um, acknowledging the holiness of God and, and not just acknowledging it, but celebrating it. And worship is the great antidote for that, that fear, I believe. Because when we come together in worship and, and we recognize and we exalt him, then, then we can keep that in our hearts. And so we should be in a posture of worship always. We should also be in a, in a posture where we're expectant. And, and we should practice the presence of the Lord in all things that we do. We should remain constant in prayer. In, in this Ephesians passage, which is probably the most beautiful passage in all the Scripture as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's the beginning of the, the uh, epistle to the Ephesians. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything, Every spiritual blessing that's possible has been given to us by the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ we have all these blessings. Without him we have nothing. With him we have all these blessings, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is and what he did. And then he goes on to say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, if you want to be secure in something, be secure in the reality that before the world itself was founded, he had chosen us in Christ. God, God's omnipotence and his omniscience stretch across time and space. Even before there was time and space is what he's saying here before the foundation of the world because that's when time and space come into existence. And so Jesus precedes all of that and God's choice of you in Jesus happened before he ever created the world. That's how much he knows you and that's how much he loves you and that's how long he's known you. He said that you were cho we were chosen that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I mean, the, 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 the choice that he made was way before the foundation of the world, he decided and, and predestined that we would be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, which tells me that, that prior to that we were not sons and daughters. We, we were just creatures. Special among all creation because we're created in the image of God, but, but we have to be adopted into the family and, and called sons and daughters. And it's important that we recognize that, that we, that we never take that for granted, that it was an act of God that did this, and it was an act of love that causes us to be who we are and where we are, and that should raise us to new heights in him. It should call us to worship him passionately in the way that David did. David knew that he was his son. David waited a long time, about nine years, in order to, to move from the one who had been anointed as king to the one who was now king. And so David knew that it was an act of God. He left it all to God all through his life, all through the time when he ran from Saul. He never took vengeance upon Saul. He left that to the Lord, and he left the timing up to the Lord. And so David was willing to wait because he knew that God had chosen him and God loved him. And so we're waiting for the time of our revealing as well. Are we becoming the people that are, that are capable of receiving the blessings? And it's we're to be holy and blameless before him. We're supposed to we're supposed to take care of our bodies and we're supposed to take care of, of all these things and we're supposed to be the the people who are abstaining from sin and who are proclaiming him. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I mean, this is the language that Paul's building on here is is just like basically saying you can't even imagine or contain the amount of blessing and grace that you've received and and, and he never wants us to take grace for granted it's never um what what Dietrich Bonhoeffer referred to as cheap grace which is the grace I bestow upon myself no it's the grace that cost Jesus his life it's the love that cost Jesus his life his love for us um so exceeded his own sense of self-regard there, that he laid down everything and came to earth, took on flesh, and allowed himself to be crucified. It's, it's unbelievable, is what Paul's saying. And he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in, him, things in heaven and on earth. And, and Paul just sees this cosmic wonder that before God created anything, he had all this planned out. And, and it was always so, he says, that, that everything was going to be united in Jesus Christ, that he is the hinge of history. He is everything you could ever want. If you want to understand the world, if you want to understand creation, if you want to understand redemption, if you want to understand eschatology, the end times, look to him because it was always designed this way. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So his omniscience and his, um, um, his omnipotence are tied with one another. He knows all things. It's done according to his will because he has the power, the omnipotence, to bring that to bear. And it was predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to 
the counsel of his will so that we are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he speaks directly to the Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Every bit of that is calling us to worship. It's telling us how to worship. And it's telling telling us what to worship. What is it we're to give thanks for? What is it we're to worship God for? It's for all the things that he has done for us. And, and it's, it's for his omnipotence. It's for his, his ability to not only create the world, but also to, to uh, exert his will upon all things over time and space. No matter what happens on earth, Paul's saying, this is all according to God's plan that there is a power that exists over all the powers of the earth, you need not fear those powers because, because the fact that you're in Christ Jesus today is the proof that God is in charge of all things. And so we should come before his holy throne and worship him and fall down before him. And, and we should treat Jesus with the utmost care and the utmost uh, respect in the same way that, that they were intended to, to treat the ark of God with respect and so we should come near not to the mountain that can't be touched but to the one who is the lover and the savior savior of our souls the one who from the cross prayed for those who persecuted him the holy one of god